Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, every day is Saturday. Hey, everyone. This is Coach Fab for Casinos USA Podcast. And welcome to our first podcast of 2021. Our January 14th podcast. Oh my, I'll tell you, this is our 103rd podcast. Wow, we've been around a while. <laughs> okay, and you know, you hear our digital audience, they're always invited, and they're here in the studio, <laughs> our uh, beautiful basement studio <laughs> in western Pennsylvania. Hey, we have a good show for you today. We're first going to talk about the hippie Lobo Wolf Lady. She's an actual person. <laughs> I'm not kidding about that. Find her in Colorado, just outside of Golden, Colorado, which some of you know because of what's in Golden. Gore's Beer, that's where they make it. Oh, boy, what a tour that is. All right. And also, we're going to deal with, in the second part of our podcast, two questions about sports betting that I took from Anthony Curtis's Las Vegas advisor. Uh, I'm a regular subscriber. I'm also a big believer uh, in Anthony Curtis. Uh, when he talks about gambling, I listen. <laughs> Check it out yourself. There's also a tremendous promotion coupon book you get when you join. You can get it uh, hard copy as I do, and you can also get it online and save yourself a little bit of money. Anthony Curtis, C-U-R-T-I-S, the Las Vegas advisor. Okay, with that being said, let's uh, take a short break and turn our attention to the story of... <laughs> The Lobo Wolf Lady (laughs) on the mountains of Colorado. Make that the hippie Lobo Wolf Lady. And the story starts, where else? Right in Las Vegas, Nevada. Hi, this is Jane. Yes, this adventure did start in Las Vegas. In fact, at the Rio That was a hotel, casino, resort that we liked to go to because it celebrated Mardi Gras. And there were, and not only Mardi Gras, but Rio de Janeiro, just like the real Rio. There were, was in the Masquerade Village, which was part of the casino, that that area of the casino had tracks in the ceiling where these parade floats, like in the Mardi Gras, would go around the room and then the women and men that were on there and dressed up in their satin Mardi Gras type clothes or costumes would throw Mardi Gras beads to the crowd 
So, of course, it was very popular every evening when it went on. I think it went twice, maybe once around 7 or 8, and then once around 11 or 12. So we like to go there because of the festive atmosphere, because there were even children allowed in those areas to catch the Mardi Gras beads, and the people on the floats would also throw them to them. And then a lot of uh, people in costumes would walk around through the casino. There were shops all along that around that casino there also and you could stand there or wait there and so a lot of the kids would wait there and that's where they'd get their beads and they had dancers that would roll these little platforms with steps and they'd put them right beside a slot machine or a table and then the music would come on and then they'd dance right there and perform right in front of you so the atmosphere was one that we hadn't seen in any of the other casinos, so we we really did like it there. Okay, one of the other things we liked was the restaurant on top of the hotel on the roof, which was called the Voodoo Lounge. Um, Really very nice restaurant, excellent food. Um, It had a great outside venue also where you could sit there on the roof and great views. It was really a nice place to go up there. You had to have reservations to go to that restaurant. We also liked the fact they had a great pool complex there with five or six different pools. Some of them had sun, or I'm sorry, they all have sun obviously out there. They had sand around a couple of them. They had waterfalls, so you could stand under that. Um, They even had one heated one because one year we were there in February and the coach and I and a gentleman and his three-year-old were the only four in that pool. It was The pool was warm and very cold when you got out. It was February, remember, but um, they do have, they did that then, had a heated pool. We liked the location of the Rio, even though it was behind the strip, you know, off of the strip. But if you drove down Industrial Boulevard, which runs behind the Fashion Show Mall and uh, Treasure Island, you could just go down industrial and make a right on that little footbridge and turn right into the Rio. But we, you could walk from the Rio to the Gold Coast right across the street, and then from the Gold Coast out their front doors, you could go right across the street there and go to the Palms. So we would make an afternoon and go to three, three different casinos in, in that one day. And both the Gold Coast and the Rio had big uh, shows inside uh, they had two shows going on and so it was not it was a nice place to go there was always entertainment of some some sort and the Rio also had a large bowling alley we were planning to leave the Rio to start our trip to Golden Colorado in the morning or at least around 11 10 11 o'clock my cousin in for- who lives there informed us that it wouldn't take us that long you know it would be a nice day trip so that's what we were going to do and then here at the Rio the other thing I didn't mention that they did they comped a lot and they they had contests and things going on every day for instance we got buzzers you got a little buzzer when you checked in and then it would go off if you won something and we won show tickets and uh various comps, you know, free play. So don't you know that that morning that we were going to leave, my buzzer went off and I won two dinners of our choice at one of the, at the Rio's steak house. 
So I thought, oh, I, I, we can't keep these. And you know me, I don't like to give up a comp, not one that that was that good. So we decided, well, so we'll leave later. You know, what's the big deal? We, we would have to eat anyhow. We'll just spend the day here. And we, the, we didn't have to be there till the very for two days. So we're giving ourselves a whole day to travel and then another day then that this wedding was taking place. So we did, we did that. We stayed. We, I think we swam. We gambled. So it was well after, I want to say it was between 5 and 6 that we actually ended up leaving. We had an early dinner. Well, the steakhouse didn't even open, I don't think, till about 4. So we left that evening. And, of course, it's summer, so we know oh, it's not going to even get dark till 9, 30, 10 o'clock. You know, we're, we'll be fine. It's a... You know, according to the map, it's pretty easy. We go on 15, then we hit 70, and we stay on that. Yeah, well, that wasn't taken into account, and we didn't know it. You know, we didn't, since we hadn't traveled this route before, you know, that we were going to the very highest parts of the Rockies, and that what was going to be encountered there, we found out that it's very dark, there's no almost no access areas, uh, which was really a fault on our part to not check that out, to see have a map where it showed us what was available, you know, where there were stops, what there was. Um, it was a the only the one nice thing was there was a full moon that night, which kind of lit the way the whole time for us. But Fav was good enough to drive the whole time. And I kept, you know, I was looking for things, um, like the sign said to watch for the large animals that could be around. And that means elk especially, which we almost ran into one once we got the golden. But um, it was a little scary because at some elevations, when you look down, I said to him, wow, this is like we're on a plane. You know, everything looks just exactly like you're looking out a plane window. Yeah, Janie's so right. I mean, the map was just, you know, um, 15 north, and then you picked up, uh, right in Utah, you picked up 70 east, and then you just started to climb. And truthfully, the roads were empty. Well, later on, we found out that one of the reasons the roads were so empty was there was a high wind warning. (laughs) So we're climbing, climbing, and uh, there's not much traffic, and we're passing up 18-wheelers. You know, they're climbing, and they're lowest gears. And so, without realizing it, because we're from the eastern part of the country, and there's hills, <laughs> but you wouldn't call them mountains like you would out west, not the Rockies. All of a sudden, instead of climbing, what are we doing, Janie? <laughs> well, he's saying, you know, that truck's going to hit us. You know, we can't go any faster. And sure enough, I said, well, if that's happening to us, it's a lack of oxygen. If that's happening to us, it's going to happen to them, too, and which it did. In fact, we saw several cars pulled over on the side. Um, I don't know if they didn't take into consideration the lack of oxygen, that when you get up there that high, that that... I had read where that happened. Well, the other aspect was, it's pitch black, as Janie said, except for the moon, and you can't pull over anywhere, and you're going 60 miles an hour downhill. I'll never forget this sign. It said, 9% grade for the next 34 miles. (laughs) You know, so then you're thinking about your brakes failing, you're touching your brakes, you know, you're going 60, 65, and the wind's like rocking the van that we had, a Toyota van at the time, one of the older ones, that era, and it was a little higher, you know. 
and then you'd see these lights in your window, and here'd be an 18-wheeler coming down 80 miles an hour. You know, you're thinking, God Almighty, they can run over us. Uh, so we, we were getting closer to our destination, but finally, thank God, I mean, I'm so tense, and Janie realizes it, and I think she's tense too, but then she says, look, look what I see on the map. Well, then I saw at Grand Junction, you know, there were a f- couple hotels, and there was a service plaza, and really, we there was nothing prior to that from Las Vegas. Um, so we decided we were just going to stay there for the night and go in the morning where we could, you know, take advantage of a lot of the views that we weren't getting since it was so dark. We we did couldn't appreciate all the Rocky Mountain views from where we were. Well, we had already eight, nine hours on the road, so, so it wasn't that money. We drove, it was 2 o'clock, at least 2 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was just I was gonna just pull off the side of the road and sleep, but she said no. There's a there's a hotel right there, so we did we went in and we slept till whatever. Right, we stayed and then we we got up and we were able to have breakfast there, and um, then got our bearings, looked at the maps. Now you remember this is before GPSs. I mean that would have really made the trip a lot more pleasant. Plus we would have been able to see on the way, you know, where you could stop or whatever there. There were a couple exits between Las Vegas and Grand Junction, but they didn't have anything right there at the exit. And we didn't know how far off you had to go. So that was when, and you know, in retrospect, I'm thinking, wow, you'd think at our age, we, in as much as we'd travel, we would have taken that into consideration. Well, I think one of the things that was working, we both had done so well at the Rio. I had one of my longest craps rolls. I won't go through it now, but I kept the dice for 45 minutes. You were winning, and you got the steak comp. I mean, we were such a good mood that I think it kind of blocked our rationale of thinking, you know. Well, yeah, and then we were going to go to Colorado to uh, where we we had never been. Well, we were in Colorado then in Grand Junction, but we were going to go to Golden. We were going to visit at my cousin's home in Cold Creek Canyon and to this family wedding. So it was going to be festive. We were going to see some relatives. You know, it was going to be fun, and it was. So we're well rested, you know, the next day because it wasn't that long of a drive from Grand Junction to Golden, if I remember, two hours or so. And uh, we were at our destination. And so um, Janie picked a a nice uh, Spanish motif hotel. I can't remember the name of it. Tabletop Mountain Hotel. There you go. You, everywhere, if you looked, it wasn't Spanish motif per se. It was just southwestern. Southwestern motif, yeah, yeah. Because the Tabletop Mountain, you looked right at it from our window, and then you could see also the Coors Brewing sign. That's that's the town where Coors Brewing is. Yeah, so we, we took that tour. First thing the next morning, we were there. I think at eight thirty in the morning. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. But um, the wedding reception was outside. Um, if you climb. Again, we had to leave Golden. Um, Toward uh, Boulder. Yeah, and climb the mountain right there, you know. Uh, and these were these were not express roads. These were just back roads. And climb the mountain, and we, had, we enjoyed that a lot. And we got up to the house, and the house was actually built um, during uh, Franklin Roosevelt's uh, presidency when he threw all that federal money into projects around the country on top of this mountain outside of... Uh, uh, Golden, Colorado, there was a dam build and a rather impressive lake. And close to the lake was um, our cousin who had purchased the house and he had, did it over in his fashion. Uh, the house was sort of, you know, the log cabin style. And it went, good, it went back to the actual building of that dam, you know. So 
it, it was in a sense a historical place to live. But uh, again, again, the the reception area was outside. You could look down onto the lake through the trees, and they had a local band there, and they had a number of neighbors and friends, and you know some of these people were our relatives. So we really had a fantastic time. It was one of the best receptions I ever. Had. I really enjoyed it underneath the stars and you know on the Rocky Mountains there. But here's the other thing: the neighbor next door um, had Lobo wolves and. You know, the title of our podcast, we refer to her as a, as a hippie. And, and uh, you know, we were uh, young marrieds doing the hippie movement in, you know, in San Francisco. And we know how people dressed, all right? Um, and, and they had a lot of ideas that were appealing, you know, get back to nature, et cetera, you know, relax, calm down, you know, that kind of thing. So some of those people from that era never changed their appearance, never changed their dress. I mean, you know, the decades go by, they roll by, and this woman was, uh, she was up there, and she was still dressing like, you know, she was at Haight-Ashbury, you know, with the Grateful Dead. But she had a double fence around her house. How high was that fence, Janie? Oh, six feet. Six feet, feet at least, and she had, I, I'm, I'm going to say a quarter acre, maybe a little bit bigger than that, all fenced off, a couple of abandoned cars, um, but a nice looking, you know, uh, home for the, for the mountains. But she was a strange character and she talked to us through the fence. And the reason she had two fences is if you put your hand through the first fence, it wouldn't go far enough that these Lobo wolves could bite you. And, um, I've come to learn that Lobo wolves, they're a subspecies of the gray wolf that are associated with, uh, the Southwestern states. But here's the thing that's impressive. They can get up to 160, 170 pounds, and they can run 37 miles an hour, you know. And they were on top of her abandoned cars. They kind of used it as a house. They'd go back and forth. But they were scary. And And she was allowed to have, she was permitted to have these wolves at the time. And uh, since then, that, that has changed. That whatever permits or whatever she had was revoked. And uh, the wolves were taken away then to some other sanctuary, uh, which I really made everybody else, really, you know, were relieved by that. Well, I've never been that close to a wolf. And, you know, wolves, actually, there was a pack. And the thing I'm going to tell you about it is they just stare at you. And it's, it's frightening, you know. It's truly frightening because they are not domesticated. They are not. They're wild animals. And, you know, how she even lived through it all, and had them loose like that, going in and out of her house, in and, inside, uh, in and out of the cars. I don't know, but it, uh, we did learn later that uh, the state agencies um, in Colorado closed her down and took, mm-hmm. and took the wolves back to wherever they yeah. belonged. So that was great. So, you know, we had a great time in the Rio. We had a terrifying trip through <laughs> the darkness of the Rocky Mountains and coming downhill for 34 straight miles. Just think about that. 34 miles downhill you know and then well one of the nice things was we did the next day and closer to golden we did get to have glimpses of the key the ski resorts of telluride and um oh what's the other one breckenridge and it's just amazing just just looking at those there's no way i would ever ski there yeah (laughs) i think they look more frightful in the summertime when you see how steep they are without the snow but uh this goes back to our whole thing about how we bundle. You know, we weren't going to go just to the wedding. We had to go to Vegas first. <laughs> we had to stay in a couple places, you know, and that's just what we do. And sometimes 
we get too carried away with just being happy, and we didn't really understand what we were getting into. And we decided we would we would have left if we'd have left at 7 a.m. in the morning. We would have been at Golden and been tired and gone to bed and then enjoyed the day the next day before the wedding reception. But that's not what we do. So, hey, thanks for sharing this with me again, Janie. Oh, anytime. I said I'd like to do that trip again to see the Rockies from Las Vegas to Grand Junction. What we missed that night, you know, that we couldn't see. As I said, there was a, thank goodness, there was a full moon because it did light light the area up you still couldn't you couldn't make anything out except if it as i said like it was below you and the lights were on in a little town or something okay all right we're going to be right back and we're going to talk about some sports back questions that were answered by anthony curtis in the las vegas advisor thanks again jenny we'll be right back after a short break Well, two questions that I couldn't answer without the help of Anthony Curtis is, number one, who invented point spreads for sports betting? Who invented point spreads for sports betting? And the second question, when did the first legal sports book open? Well, here's something I didn't know. In the uh, early days of sports betting, if a gambler was betting on a game, it was just on the money line, whether one team would win or not. Um, So you'd pick winners. It had nothing to do. There was no such thing as a point spread. And so if you want to use the term bookies, bookies limited who you could bet on. Because if there was a clear favorite, they wouldn't let you bet on that because you had the best chance of winning. So they just chose games that were more or less toss-ups. Now what they did do is they called them parlay cards you know, to make it more challenging, you might be able to pick a favorite if it was in a parlay, like a five-team parlay. You know, then then four of the five were caught were toss-ups. The boy, that was a problem. But but somewhere in the 1940s, there was an ingenious concept called the point spread, and that changed sports betting forever. And it's it's a legendary kind of thing because it's not you know absolutely a fact. But supposedly a bookkeeper in Connecticut um, named Charles McNeil. He put the idea into use, and it caught on everywhere so that, you know, it was possible with a point spread to make a team that could win by 40 points um, a challenging bet because they had to win, you know, by 40 points, just like I said. (laughs) It wasn't just about picking winners. So that's how that worked, and that really came pretty late, you know. So it wasn't until the 1940s that the whole idea of a point spread associated with betting on sports Um, was used and was popular. And the second question about when was it legalized? It was legalized in Nevada in 1949, but these uh, were not casinos. They were exclusively books, sports books, that you could go to and bet on games. And the majority of those legal sports books were associated with uh, horse racing. However, that was changed. That was changed in a big way. In 1975, that's how late it was, Frank Lefty Rosenthal lobbied the Nevada legislature and got um, sports books in casinos to be legal. You know, So when that happened, those um, turf clubs, racetrack bets, you know, those kind of books just basically died off. And people started to 
use sports betting in casinos. And boy, sports books today, man, they're such a big issue. You know, most of the casinos built in the last two or three years, they have huge, huge <laughs> screens where people can enjoy um, the sports book. It's, it's some, some of them are so impressive. It's just, it's simply amazing. Well, if, if you don't know this, I have to do it one more time. I, uh, I don't like point spreads um, because they are toss-ups that way, too. So I, I like to bet on favorites, and I was 29-9. and nine. I just bet five. Uh, I bet, Excuse me, I just bet on three teams. Um, I bet on the Pittsburgh Steelers on the money line every game. They went 12-5. and five. I bet on Notre Dame. They went 10-2, and two, losing only to Clemson the second time they played one another and Alabama last season. And I also bet on uh, the Nevada Wolfpack in Reno because my granddaughter goes there, and they went seven and two. So I was twenty nine and nine on the money line bets that I made. Now uh, I'm going to use an example to help you appreciate the money line, just in case you're not familiar with it. If you're a point spread kind of person, if you bet on the money line and the, and the team is a great favorite, let's just use the word the amount of one hundred dollars. You might bet a hundred dollars and you might win fifteen dollars. You know some of the people that um. Alabama really ripped up. They averaged almost 50 points a game, and they, you know, there were games they won, uh, scoring more than 50 points and holding the other team to a touchdown or less. And you know they were big favorites. So you, your $100 bet might have paid $8.50. But if you would have bet the money line on the losing team, that $8.50 or that $15, whatever it was, would have paid $100. But remember, the losing team had to win in that story. There were times this year where the Pittsburgh Steelers were not favored. There were times this year when Notre Dame wasn't favored, like the first Clemson game when Lawrence was injured for Clemson and they went to Notre Dame and they lost in double overtime, you know, my $100 bet on Notre Dame paid a lot more because <laughs> they weren't than $100 because they weren't favored to win that game. And the same is true with um, the Nevada Wolfpack. Um, they went 7-2 and two and they weren't favored in many of their games. So I just enjoyed picking winners, but picking uh, point spreads, that takes some analytics in terms of study. You know? <laughs> it's not so obvious. And uh, I just felt better um, picking winners and doing it the old money line way. All right. That's what I did. You know, and finally, I just want to remind you that um, the Las Vegas advisor, I have no business ties with Anthony Curtis, never met him. But if, if there was one newsletter about Las Vegas that I think is worth the money, it's Anthony Curtis's Las Vegas advisor. And again, the promo book that you get with that, a coupon book, is, is just simply amazing. I mean, you get three or four times of what you paid to you know, join. So check it out yourself. You can get it online. You can get it mailed to you directly, whatever. You know, so I just think it's, it's something that keeps, you know, casinos on your mind and keeps you up to date with what's going on in Vegas. That's not associated with a podcast um, or a YouTube video. You know, it's, it's just... The old-fashioned way in print for someone who enjoys this recreational gambling scene to enjoy. So, wow. The, the hippie lady <laughs> with the Lobo Wolves, that was a very factual story. And, uh, uh, boy, oh, boy, it was frightening. You know, when we got to the, you know, when we got close to the crest of the Rocky Mountains on that highway... Like, like Janie said, you know, the cars were slowing down. Someone were pulling over. And you thought a truck coming behind you was going to crash into you. And then suddenly they slowed down. 
And then when you got over that crest and you see a sign, 9% grade, next 34 miles. <laughs> Just the opposite happened. You start picking up speed, you know, and you're touching your brakes, and, you know, the wind is rocking the van, and then, then you have an 18-wheeler come blowing by you, and, of course, they're shooting wind at you, and, oh, boy. By the time we got down to the junction, man, Grand Junction, wow, it was time for me to get some rest. Oh, wow. So it was still a, it was still a great memory, and it's still a great memory to talk about. Okay, well, today um, is our first podcast in 2021. We hope you stay with us all year long. Um, the casinos will continue to open and flourish as people get vaccinated across the country, and it won't be long till we're all back together our favorite casinos so until then remember casinos usa is still a place where every day is saturday see you in a couple weeks thanks for listening